Vermont Viewpoint is a public affairs program produced and funded by WDEV and the Radio Vermont Group. We welcome listener feedback. Email your comments to vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. Good morning and welcome to Vermont Viewpoint. I'm Kevin Ellis. Thank you for joining us. First, a housekeeping note. There is work being done on the DEV AM tower, so you may experience some interruptions if you're listening on your AM dial. So do me a favor, hop over to 96.1, 96.5 in Barrie, or if you're in Montpelier, check out 98.3. But of course, if you have the internet, go to WDEVradio.com and hit the listen button, and uh, that you'll be able to hear everything loud and clear. When I was in college, I went to a concert by the folk singer Harry Chapin, and he said something that has struck with me my entire life. Chapin cared deeply about hunger in America, and he said this between songs at the old Springfield Mass Civic Center. We should cancel school for one day in this country, and everybody should sit down and talk about why we allow people to go hungry in this country. So we're going to do something like that on today's show about homelessness. We're devoting the entire two hours to this one issue, why it exists, how it happens, and how we as a society should try to solve it. We have a long list of experts to discuss the issue from various angles, and my hope is that at the end of this two hours, we will all have a better understanding of homelessness so we all can play a part in solving it. We'll take your calls along the way. The number to call is 244-1777. You can email me at vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. We'll start off with a journalistic treatment of the issue with Lola Dufort at VT Digger, who covers this issue on a daily basis. We'll talk to the folks at the Family Center of Washington County who care for people experiencing homelessness. State Treasurer Mike Pichak, who... Uh, recently uh, convened a forum on the issue and has unveiled a multi-million dollar program to inject money into that system for housing. Um, we'll also talk to Rebecca Dupree, a central Vermonter who has experienced homelessness, lived in her car with her kids and lived in a state-subsidized motel. And we'll speak with direct services expert and advocate Brenda Siegel about her work with our homeless neighbors and what she sees as the solution. We invited officials from the Scott administration to come on the show to explain what they're doing about the issue. Chris Winters, the commissioner of the Department of Children and Families, could not make it, nor could Housing Commissioner Josh Hanford, who is uh, good for him on vacation. We promised to get them on a subsequent show to discuss solutions from their perspective, although I know Josh has taken a new job, but um, he's an expert in the field, so we'll try to get him on. A couple of additional notes. Full disclosure here, I'm the chair of something called Downstreet Housing in Barrie. I'm the chair of the board. We build and renovate and provide affordable housing to people around central Vermont. So I come to this issue with a bit of a bias that we should build and provide more housing in general. So you're armed with that. Second, this show is always about informing people and learning more than we used to know, which makes us better citizens in a democracy. It's not about gotcha questions and cheap political arguments. I feel as if we have learned in the past 10 years or so that that doesn't really work for any of us. So if you're looking for attacks on politicians or snark, you won't find it here. That said, we've got to face hard questions. 
We have several hundred Vermonters living on the streets in substandard motels subsidized by state government, meaning us, or just wandering around with nowhere to go. We have an obligation to do something about this, and part of the solution needs to be looking in the mirror and understanding that the problem is not with the homeless people alone. It is with all of us. And we are facing that issue on the show. I wanted to do the show because there's so much information out there about homelessness, and I wanted to try to make sense of it. Questions we're asking today include how many homeless people are there? Why are they there without housing on the street? What is government doing about at all levels about this? What is the nonprofit sector doing? Why isn't the market taking care of this? And what are the solutions? It's pretty clear that we need to build and renovate more housing in Vermont. But for some reason, that doesn't seem to be cutting it. Why? After the break, the Vermont Digger reporter who follows this issue every day. I'm Kevin Ellis, and you're listening to Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. We're back, and we're discussing homelessness for the entire show you can call with questions at 244-1777 as we take this on. Lola Dufort is a reporter at VT Digger and has been covering issues of homelessness for a very long time now. She's written extensively about the motel subsidy program, how the flood affected those without homes, and the Scott administration's approach to solving the problem. She joins us now. Welcome back. Hi, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for coming on. I guess the first question is, what have you learned about homelessness in the course of your reporting over the last year or so? Uh, wow, I've learned a lot. Um, <laughs> kind of hard to narrow it down. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I guess, I guess that, that question is born of there's a lot of information out there, and it's hard to make sense of it. So, uh, you know, the homeless hotel program. Um, the, the flood, people living on the streets in ways that we, at least I didn't think I saw 10, 20 years ago. Uh, I guess my question to you is, you know, what has happened? Why is this problem seemingly worse than ever? Well, I think it's seemingly worse than ever because it is worse than ever. Um, I do, however, think that uh, a big part of it is also that we're just seeing it accurately for the first time. And I think there are two reasons for that. Um, a pandemic era intervention, um, mostly like putting everyone up in a hotel, uh, allowed us to actually get a better sense of our problem. So we, we actually just have better data about the number of people who are homeless in Vermont. Um, and I also think that, um, you know, pandemic economic shocks, uh, created a housing affordability crisis nationwide um, and really exacerbated one in Vermont. And I think that the middle class was, um, you know, is feeling a crisis um, that it did not feel before. And so I think Vermont has been in a housing crunch or crisis for a really long time, but it didn't feel like that for, uh, you know, people like me. Um, And so I think we were not aware of how bad things were, right? And I think whenever you talk to anyone who is in the housing space, you know, uh, they yell at you for a long time about how this is not a pandemic problem and how we've been kind of underbuilding our way 
to where we are now for decades and that only now people are sort of starting to realize it. And I, I think that's true. Um, but I do think that the problem is worse. Um, and, I, you know, data kind of post the first pandemic year shows that, that it's that it's getting worse. Um, and uh, and also just comparatively, it's really bad when we look at Vermont's numbers versus the like the rest of the nation. I mean, we are, um, you know, we're we're second only to California according to national national data about our rates of homelessness. So, so the problem is bad. It's it's very bad. So if you def- if you combine the following issues, uh, I bought my first house when I was a young journalist in Nashville, Tennessee for $28,000. And it was a 2,800 square foot house needed a lot of work, but it was, you know, it was pretty big with a big yard. That house today would sell for at least $750,000, which back then in Nashville, we were in the really bad section. It's now Mm -hmm. artsy and very hipster. Um, Right. I, I, you know, put that issue in Vermont uh, and combine it with a pandemic and a flood, and you've got, you know, what what am I missing there that contributes to the problem? I mean, I think the 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 only things that are missing there is that you know Vermont is particularly bad in terms of underbuilding. Right, other places have also not built to keep up. With population, but we also have these kind of like quirky, right? We have really old housing stock, so that's a really big problem in Vermont. And another problem here is because our housing stock is old, it's mismatched. It does not match what households look like now, right? So I think when people think of homes in Vermont, they think often of like the big old drafty Victorian. Yeah. Um, yeah, or the farm, or big, the farmhouse, or the or the farmhouse. Yes, right. exactly. Right. And those homes were built for, uh, you know, bigger families. Now people have smaller families, so you have all these big houses that don't, you know, that are too big for the people, you know, for the households that are in them. You have a lot of, for example, seniors that would like to downsize and have no place to go, um, and then you have a lot of. Um, uh, you know, young families that want that starter home, and there just aren't a lot of those in Vermont. So you have these kind of special Vermont problems, although you do see some of this replicated elsewhere. Um, and then you also, you know, we have pretty, I mean, municipalities are very empowered everywhere, but, uh, you know, Vermont does not like change, right? And so, uh, it is not a state that has encouraged development over the years, and that's given us, you know, very bucolic, beautiful kind of landscape, uh, but it's also meant not enough homes. We also have a lot of homes taken over, you know, there are a lot of second homes, right, which do not provide primary residences, and there's also the growing problem of um, short-term rentals like Airbnb, yeah. Um, you know, there is uh, there are mixed opinions about how much that actually impacts um, the housing crisis, and it's it's it seems to be very regional, right? Like, uh, it's pretty straightforward why short-term rentals would be a bigger problem in 
uh, you know, the Stowe area than right. it would be elsewhere. Um, but the the problem there is we, we just don't have great data at this point about how it's impacting it. But, you know, people often bring it up. Um, and you're also just seeing emerging regulation, especially at the local level, um, about about that problem. So so we need more housing. Uh, but with regard to people living in the street uh, with nowhere to go, what, let's go to government for a second. What is state government doing? You know, they, we spent as a legislature and a governor's office and citizens a lot of money. Uh, in this motel, subsidized motel program to house people. And we still are, despite lots of reporting about the fact that the motel program was ending. Could you sort of bring us up to date on the motel program and its status? Yeah. So it's quite complicated. Um, I would say, that, so I think probably what people need to understand is there are now two motel programs. Um And there's one motel program that is basically what we had pre-pandemic, and that means uh, eligibility is very limited, um, and the number of days that you can stay in the hotel if you are homeless is very limited. Um, So so that's the pre-pandemic program that now exists for – so, like, if you lose your housing next week, for example, you can only avail yourself of the pre-pandemic general assistance – um, program. Um, and so, for example, if you are, you know, a family with children, you get 28 days. That's what you're entitled to. Um, and uh, however, if you are affected by natural disaster, you get 84 days. So there are all these kind of weird rules um, that are very hyper specific. Um, and a lot of people would say, you know, a lot of housing advocates would say completely inadequate, uh, particularly in this market. But that's that's kind of what it looks like. Um, and then there is this weird parallel um, program, which is the pandemic era program, which was technically ended um, on July 1st. Right. But anyone who was in it. Right. So if you were in the program as of June 30th and uh, met certain, you know, um, eligibility categories, right? So you were, for example, a family with kids or on SSI. If you were in the program, you kind of got grandfathered in. So you get to stay and you get to stay until April unless the state finds you um, alternative, uh, an, an alternative placement, and that can be both housing or a shelter bed. Um, and so we have these two programs. And um, the kind of pandemic era one is really interesting to follow, mostly because the state has required some really detailed reporting from the state about it. Um, And so probably as we keep talking, I'm going to refer back to that. And it's not because it's the only, you know, cohort. um, In fact, there's a growing cohort. Anyone who was, you know, made homeless by the flood wouldn't be included in in this. Uh, because the flood happened after July 1st. Right. Um, but we don't have data um, the way that we do about this other cohort um, about, like, where they go, right? right? So if they leave the program, where do they go? We don't know, but we do know that for the pandemic era program. Um, 
which is super interesting from a reporting standpoint. So I know you're trained not to draw uh, sort of uh, political conclusions, but I still have to ask you, what are we doing wrong here? Why, why, you know, this is clearly, you know, a conservative Republican might say, uh, the market will take care of this. Well, clearly the market in this area is failing at some level. Uh, what are we doing wrong? Are we being too liberal? Are we being too conservative? Are we not sympathetic enough? Uh, are we not creating jobs? We're not building enough housing. What What is your reporting telling you? I think the problem is fundamentally of scarcity, right? Um, there's not enough housing. Um, I mean, I think the conservative argument would be there's not enough housing, but also, you know, a lot of progressives are embracing this. Um, I, I think there's increasing there's an increasing consensus in um, in uh, the housing reform space that, like, look, if supply does not match demand, you get insane prices and right. you get more homelessness. Right. Um, I think there's also a more progressive case to be made that, you know, you could include some additional protections for people who are in housing, uh, particularly tenants. Uh, that's not getting a lot of traction at the state house, uh, but you know that is that is an argument. And you know, Vermonters don't have many protections at all when it comes to you know there is there's a pretty um, it's pretty lopsided uh, right. in terms of the kinds of consumer protections that are in place if you are in rentals. But at the end of the day, we need more housing, um, and we also need more shelter beds. I mean, one thing that I was kind of shocked to learn when I started reporting on homelessness is that, uh, you know, not only is there not enough housing, but there's not enough shelter. And there's not enough shelter by a factor. You know, there there's like one shelter bed for every like four or five homeless people. I mean, it's it's insane. We have so... We've so badly ignored this problem that we haven't even noticed that, right? That, like, unless we put people up in hotels, which is a very bad solution, it's expensive and it also relies on, you know, a private sector actor to take care of very, very vulnerable people. And some hotels, you know, really care and are doing the right thing. Um, and some hotels are price gouging and, you know, letting their properties fall into disrepair because they know that they have all the power in the situation. Um, so it's it's really a bad it, it's it's a it's a pretty bad. Uh, it, it's awful that this is kind of the only short term available option. Right. 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 Um and, but as far as I can tell, absolutely no one has come up with a better idea. Um, uh, I mean, you know, people will talk about pallet housing or tiny houses or yeah. um, and motel conversions, right? People talk a lot about motel conversions. They're like, well, why can't the state just buy these motels? Um, the problem, of course, is that those are, that you know, that's expensive and it takes time to convert a motel, um, especially if it's fallen into disrepair and you might have to move the people out of it. Um, and you are seeing that happen. We carried a story about that um, that my colleague Carly Berlin wrote uh, just a couple of days ago, right, um, about uh, the Champlain Housing Trust converting the Ho-Hum Motel 
Um, and that's, you know, that's a success story, but it, it took a, it took a long time and, and quite a bit of money, right? Um, yeah, it's so very it's expensive. It's very expensive. And so to deal with this kind of immediate problem, the only option we have at this point is not a great one, which is keep paying to people, keep paying to put people up in hotels. Yeah, it seems like the motel program is, is sort of a bad, everyone agrees that it's, it's a stopgap and it's, it's just not a, a great solution. Uh, for the long term. Um, so Lola, last question. What's your next story going to be? What questions are you asking about this issue? I mean, something I've been paying a lot of attention to um, and will continue to pay a lot of attention to is, you know, as I said earlier, we're tracking where people go um, when they leave the motel program. Uh, and I'm talking about the pandemic era one because it's the one that we have data on. Yeah. And I guess let's, let's play a little bit of a game. So, um, you know, since we started tracking, so in the two months, in July and August, uh, 338 people left the motel program, the, the pandemic era motel program. Now, Kevin, can you guess for me how many have moved into an apartment, according to state data, of those 338 Oh, I have no idea, but I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna be optimistic and say 250. Uh, the pessimist in me would say 15. Well, the pessimist in you is uh, a little bit closer to the money. It's 49. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there you go. 49. And then 19 have found, you know, quote, housing other than an apartment. I'm assuming that means a shelter bed, uh, right. but maybe it's, some other sort of transitional housing. Um, uh, can you guess what happened to 223 of the people who left? I'm guessing they're on the street. Well, we don't really know. We just know that they weren't able to meet the rules that the set the state set, right? So there are all these new rules that the state has attached to these people who have been grandfathered in um, and 223 have just been simply kicked out and they're in this weird kind of catch-all category called non-renewal. Okay. Um, and the state says like, well, they either refused alternative housing, which, you know, might be congregate shelter bed, which doesn't work for a lot of people. You know, when this new, uh, this new program was created, right? This kind of grandfathering, of this cohort was was done, all of these new kind of strings were attached to this benefit. And a lot of people warned that those strings would kind of prove too hard for people to navigate or assume. And, you know, I have spoken to, uh, you know, sometimes People either have to renew their voucher every 28 days, but if they're also paid, and a lot of people work that are in this program, um, if they work, then they have to be renewed, you know, with every paycheck or with every paycheck that comes into their household, right? So I talked to a woman who is renewing her voucher six times a month um, because, uh, you know, she's paid weekly, her husband is paid biweekly. And so we have made kind of keeping this voucher pretty difficult and complicated. Um, and, you know, and that's kind of a running theme in 
when it comes to poverty, right? The help that we give to people is often really, really difficult, both to get and then to keep. Right. And it's conditional. It's very, it's not just that it's conditional, but the actual, and you know, I think everyone hates paperwork, hates going to the DMV. Um, but I think we don't fully, we, we do not appreciate a, how much heavier the, um, the actual administrative process often is if you are poor, because I think there's just this built in assumption that like you can't be trusted. And also just, you know, not only is the administrative burden often sometimes harder to navigate, but you know, you also have fewer resources to navigate it. Right. Um, and so I'm going to be paying a lot of attention to that growing number of people who are getting kicked out of this program simply because of non-renewal, right? Like where did they go? Why did they leave? Um, and did, you know, did they find an alternative and we just don't know about it? Maybe they did. Right. Right. Um, or did we simply fail to help them in a helpful way? Um, so that's that's what I'm going to be paying attention to. Um, and I will, you know, I'll let the well, next person talk. And we will have you back to talk about what you discovered. Lola Dufort from VT Digger, thanks for joining us. Yeah. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye. So we're going to go quickly now to Kathy Partlow, who is the Housing and Community Development Manager for the Family Center of Washington County. Kathy, welcome to the show. Good morning, Kevin. I'm, I'm, it's good. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, you are the practitioner who deals with this issue on a daily basis, and I want to get from you, the expert, an answer to this question, which is let's define our terms. What is homelessness? What does that term mean? Is it just people who do not have a house or an apartment or a place to sleep? Well, at a very um, base level, yes. It's someone who does not have a fixed place to sleep, someone who has had to move multiple times in a set period of time, 30, 60, 90 days, in order to just have um, a temporary roof over their head. So, yes, in fact, that is the case. It's someone who does not have a place to be. And what does the Family Center of Washington County do about this? So all of our programs may interact with families, pregnant and parenting families who are homeless. However, we have three programs that are specifically tasked with serving homeless, pregnant, and parenting families. Uh, so we work with folks who are already homeless, so we're not on the prevention side, uh, at least in these programs, and uh, we are assisting them with all kinds of things, not the least of which is securing housing eventually, right? Uh, working on getting vouchers uh, for subsidies, working on life skills that may need to be uh, they may need some assistance with. And uh, in terms of what Lola was just talking about, working on renewing, uh, which can be really, really challenging for folks who are experiencing homeless and are in that cohort where they're being housed in a hotel. Um, not all these hotels have great cell service at the hotels. Not all of our all of the folks who are homeless have uh, phones that they can use to be online and on hold and on a wait for hours at a time. Uh, and so it does prove incredibly challenging just in that aspect, just maintaining that temporary shelter. Kathy, how many homeless people do we have in central Vermont? 
Do you know? In central Vermont, we have 425 total households. This is as of a report that we generated on uh, the 13th of this month, so pretty recent. So 425 total households, 85 of those households are with children. Okay, and what are we doing about it? Oh, we, we as a society, not just we as Vermonters and state government, city government, you, uh, how, are we, how are we trying to solve this problem? So the first thing that we're doing is working in coalition with other folks in our area, uh, including affordable housing providers and landlords of all kinds, um, as well as a ton of social service agencies uh, and and the state in terms of what's available for funding and how we might be able to access it in order to benefit the households in our community. Um, it It's not a one-size-fits-all solution. Uh, each family, uh, each individual is has has their own potential issues around securing housing. Sometimes it is purely a lack of housing. We can't find housing. Uh, sometimes it's we might be able to find housing, but we can't afford housing. Uh, and sometimes it's the fact that there are other sociological issues going on within a family that that they need help with in order to reduce their barriers to obtaining housing. Uh, in, a, in a New Yorker article that I just read by Jennifer Egan, which I thought was really good and, and clear, uh, she divides this population into kind of two cohorts. Uh, and I know that's the, the danger here is to be oversimplistic, but uh, it's those uh, who have suffered a mishap. They break their leg. They're in a car accident. Uh, they lose their job. Uh, these are these are working people who are able-bodied, but something happens to them, and they and they suffer in some way, and they lose their housing, and 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 then the the second cohort is those suffering from uh, challenges with addiction, mental health, et cetera, et cetera. But we all seem to fall into this second category of assuming that people experiencing homelessness are all mentally ill and all addicted, and that's just not the case. Is that your experience? That is absolutely my experience. Right. Uh, we, there, there is a mix. Uh, as there is in any subset of society, there's a mix in terms of what's going on with, with any individual who's experiencing homelessness. So, yeah, 100%... We we meet people where they're at and try to help them to assess, you know, where they're at and what they need, and we do our best to assist them in moving forward. Uh, but the this uh, proverbial sixty-four thousand dollar question, right, is where is the housing? And that really is what it boils down to in the end: is if we had the various types of housing that we need to house all of these folks and the services in place to further assist them in being successful in that housing, uh, then, you know, all would be well with the world, right? <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, I'm going to ask uh, uh, our next guest, Mike Pichak, who is the Vermont State Treasurer, to join us now. Uh, Kathy, stay on the line. Uh, Mike has to go at 10 a.m., and I want to just to get his view because – Treasurer Pichak has done two things recently. He has uh, convened a, an online conference with an author named Greg Colburn, who has written a book called uh, Homelessness is a Housing Problem. I believe that's the title. 
And secondly, he's unveiled a, a multi-million dollar program to inject money into the housing system. So, Treasurer Pichak, thanks for joining us. Hey, Kevin. Thank you for having me. So we know you have to go, but I and I want Kathy to stay on the line because she's sort of the expert at this. But you have just unveiled a, I think it's a $55 million program to inject new mm-hmm. dollars into the housing system. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I think when we're looking at the issue of homelessness, um, as you heard from Kathy, like, you know, sometimes um, homes aren't available. Sometimes homes are not affordable. And those are the two factors that um, Professor Colburn has identified that drive homelessness when looking at a city level or a state level and comparing states and cities to each other. When you have a low vacancy rate and you have a high median rent, uh, then you're going to experience more homelessness. That's what the data says. And in Vermont, we have one of the lowest vacancy rates in the country and we have one of the highest median rates in the country. So um, from that macro level, it's not it's not unsurprising that we have some of the greatest rates of homelessness um, in the country. So the solution to that is to um, build and support building uh, more housing. Um, that's what the $55.5 million project that we announced last week will do. It's a low interest rate loan program uh, that we will um, provide to housing of all types. So traditional affordable housing, uh, employer-sponsored housing, uh, manufactured homes, uh, flood resiliency, uh, senior housing, and uh, workforce housing as well. So really trying to add housing throughout the entire stockpile uh, in Vermont. Um, and this goes on, this comes on in the heels of other state investments and maybe more importantly, state regulatory reforms as well that eliminated things like single family zoning in Vermont. So I think all of those things, you know, those are long-term solutions, but you know, they're not immediate solutions, but in terms of the long term, there's a lot of reason, I think, for optimism that we at least have finally identified this as uh, as a as a serious challenge, homelessness. And we've identified solutions that will actually have a real impact, a real likelihood of um, driving down the rate of homelessness that we see in Vermont. Kathy, I want to start start moving into some solutions here. Mike Pichak has unveiled this uh, loan, low interest loan program. Uh, if you're governor for a day. Uh, what or how about emperor for a day? Uh, what do you do? Boy, I think this is an incredibly complex issue, and it really deserves a complex solution. So I would do what I think is being done in a lot of different ways um, across the state and and sort of on a statewide level, bringing people together from various uh, sectors of our Vermont society to try to come up with a solution. The solutions will involve economic, social, infrastructure, and what, you know, the treasurer is talking about today is a big leap forward, I think, in infrastructure, and it's taking some forward thinking. And, I, and you know, what you've talked about already today is that we haven't, we haven't let ourselves be forward thinking in this. We've, we've sort of been sticking in what's happening today. Uh, often enough. So I, I love the forward thinking. However, we also need to think right now, today, what happens in April when this cohort has to leave the hotels? Um, what happens when the weather gets cold in another month and there are hundreds and hundreds of folks out on the streets? Um, those are those are real issues that we have to think about. 
and I think we need varying types of housing to be developed, not just market rate housing. We need market rate affordable and subsidized. We need access to that housing. It needs to be considered that not everybody, we need sort of this low barrier or no barrier access to shelter type of housing, uh, which means an increased amount of shelter space in one way or another for both families and individuals as well. Um, and then we need the services in place. We need to be able to pay service providers um, what they need in order to hire folks to do the work of helping helping individuals and families to be successful in that housing. Uh, Mike Pichak, we tried to get Chris Winters at DCF and Josh Hanford on the show. They were unavailable. But I, you work in government, and I have always had a, a – Strong sympathy for those doing the hard work of government because it is really hard to get the wheels of government to turn faster to solve these kinds of problems. I guess my question for you is, what have you learned since you come to the treasurer's office about this problem and how to attack it? Is it harder than you thought, easier than you thought? What, what's your experience so far? Yeah, well, I think um – you know, there's a, a more immediate way that you know we need to solve this challenge, and then there's a more long-term way. And and the, and you know, for our office and our work, we've been thinking more about the long-term solutions, um, and those are are challenging because they take time. And yeah. Short-term solutions are also challenging because they take resources and and um, they take a lot of creative thinking uh, as well. But you know, in that long-term space, um, you know, it's it's pretty. You know, from my view, and you know, Professor Colburn, I just think really sliced through a lot of a lot of disinformation when he identified these uh, factors that drive homelessness and, and at the city level. So, not talking about an individual's life or the individual level, but at sort of the systematic level. And and I love that framing because you know, as he says, you know, we shouldn't be looking at, at people who are experiencing homelessness as having individual failings but we should be looking at the systemic failings. And when we frame it in that way, all of us are responsible for the systemic failings. All of us are responsible for um, not having adequate housing and enough housing supply. And the thing that really sort of drives that, I think, is this sort of concept of what he calls elasticity of housing. So basically, how does your housing supply respond to population growth? Um, in Vermont, I would suggest we have a pretty low elasticity rate. So as our population has gone up, our housing stock has not gone up. And we've seen a lot of inbound migration during and following the pandemic. Um, and a lot of that inbound migration um, is uh, from individuals that have a lot of uh, wealth, significant wealth, which has drived up uh, housing prices and, and driven down availability. So we really need to keep up with that. Um, cities like Austin, Texas, um, cities you know, like uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, they have seen significant population growth, but they've kept up with their housing stock and they haven't seen the kind of homelessness rates that San Francisco or Seattle are seeing. So that's a big takeaway. Um, and those things take time. And that's a challenge in state government, right? Because you need to also have more immediate solutions because people are um, living on the streets today and, and, and you need to have those solutions as well. Yeah, I remember, uh, Mike, before we let you go, the, I, I believe it was, oh, I don't know, three, four, five years ago, the governor proposed, I think it was a $75 million housing bond. And everybody thought, wow, that's, 
that's uh, revolutionary. That's we've never seen that before. Now today we look back at that and sort of think it was small potatoes. And uh, post flood, post pandemic, <laughs> we're talking about just much bigger sums of money that are being spent on this and need to be spent on this, right? Yeah, the governor's been um, been great on the housing issue for a long time. I mean, the housing bond—I think it was a thirty—I think it was originally thirty-five million, and it moved up to maybe thirty-seven million. Yeah, right. Um, but but th- there's that, and then there is the, about two hundred and fifty million of ARPA money that was set aside to support housing. There's now this fifty-five and a half million dollars of low-interest loans to support housing, and then the regulatory reforms. I mean, that's a big component um, as well. So, you know. We, um, you know, we just underbuilt in Vermont for a long time. You know, in, in 2012, we built about 1,100 new units um, in uh, in that year. Um, the current year that we're in, we're estimated to be building about 2,300 units, um, and that's uh, scheduled to go up over the next few years. So we are seeing that we are meeting the, the need, but um, you know, but again, it takes takes a long time, and housing has become a lot more expensive to build. Um, supplies and workforce are a lot more expensive. The interest rates are really high. Um, that's why this sort of low interest rate loan program that we established, we thought would be um, a good tool at this moment with high interest rates. And we anticipate that that investment will leverage another $340 million of private and government investment and support about 1,100 units of housing. So, um, again, one step in the right direction in terms of this longer-term solution. Kathy Partlow, can you tell us what your day looks like just the average day in your life working in this business inform our listeners what you actually do every day okay so uh so we currently have a staff of five here uh that work with me and we are hiring two more based on what's happened recently uh one of our grants the state has increased the amount of staff uh, based on the fact that there are more homeless folks out there. So, um, and on any given day, uh, as staff come in, they're dealing with, with whatever emergencies have come in, uh, on their current caseloads and or attempting to, uh, pull in other new families into a caseload if there's a vacancy. We are out in the hotels working with families who are currently homeless. Uh, we do also follow folks into housing, so we are also in people's apartments working with them in their apartments or in the community working with folks in the community. We are also engaging with all of our community partners to do that in a way that is holistic and um, has our, the families we work with engaging with other community partners as well. Let me let me interrupt. Uh, Kathy Partlow and Mike Pichak, we have to take a break. And both of you, thank you for coming on the show. Kathy, if you want to hang on, feel free to. We'll be right back.